This podcast does not constitute medical advice. All changes surrounding medications, diet and exercise should be made in consultation with a professional who can assess your unique health circumstances. Welcome to the Rheumatoid Solutions Podcast with Clint Patterson, helping you to live an easier, healthier and happier life. Welcome back to rheumatoidsolutions.com. I've got another guest today to inspire us all on how she has been able to manage her inflammatory symptoms with rheumatoid arthritis by following the Patterson program. And she has so much more to share than just rheumatoid arthritis management. She's been through a tremendous amount having been diagnosed with breast cancer, and we're going to cover the journey that she's had with that as well. Uh, Jennifer, she's originally from Scotland, now living just north of Brisbane here in Australia, but you'll pick up that her accent is still strong, healthy, and thriving. Uh, Jennifer, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Now, you said you've never done anything like this in your life, so we will forgive you if you stumble, uh, stutter, go, go, go fuzzy on the screen or whatever. I'm just grateful to have you here because your story is very, very unusual, even for people who have had a lot of improvements by following the Patterson program. Yours is extraordinary. Uh, can you just give us this, as a, a brief little sample of what we're going to hear about today? Okay, well, my story started with very mild symptoms in uh, 2015. I knew what it was because with a family history went to the rheumatologist and she immediately put me onto the Patterson program. Um, I was too early for medications. Six months later, my CRP was below one and she happily discharged me. And apart from one or two odd episodes when I've eaten incorrectly, I've been completely symptom-free, medication-free from the rheumatoid arthritis, which is wonderful. So I'm very grateful. Yeah, that is truly, as I said a moment ago, very extraordinary. And whilst we do get some people come to our program and say, hey, I was just diagnosed, I never want to go on medications. If I go on your program, can I be off drugs forever? The answer is mostly, look, you can try, but you're probably going to have a better outcome long-term. If you follow the path that I took uh, necessarily, and also so many others have taken, which is to do some drugs in parallel, something that's non-counterproductive, like a methotrexate, sulfasalazine, something like this. And then if, if your symptoms are well controlled at that level, and then your rheumatologist and you agree that everything's on track, you can slowly taper the medications with time if all the indicators are good. And then occasionally someone comes along like yourself and pulls off the three-point shot and just manages to avoid needing any other interventions, whether it be like heavy supplementation or medications or whatever. And so in that sense, your story is very unusual, tremendous, and wonderful. And uh, we will talk about the rheumatoid side of things, but let's also um, go deep in into your challenges with, uh, with your breast cancer today as well. And so I'm now thinking, where, where, should we take, where should we go with this? I, I think, what about uh, 
First of all, let's talk about your uh, rheumatoid symptoms that you had before you saw the rheumatologist. I mean, you said they were mild. Where were you affected the most? Hands and feet. Um, waking up in the morning with swelling and um, a bit of discomfort. Over a, a two or three weeks, it spread up to my elbows were also affected. But by the time I'd showered and finished breakfast, things had calmed down. But there was a strong family history, so I knew what it was and I didn't want it. <laughs> so I went straight to the doctor and asked for a referral um, because I, if treatment was necessary, I wanted to get it started. Um, yeah. And you've written to me uh, some really, really wonderful lengthy notes here before our call so that I was well prepared. And you said that, uh, you, yeah, you were very happy to go on whatever medications that were, were, were recommended. That's correct, correct, right? Yes. I, was, I mean, I'm not a medication kind of person. I have literally thrown out paracetamol from my cupboard because it was past its expiration date. I've been very lucky. I've been very healthy all my life. But if I needed medications for RE, I would have taken them um, because I didn't want the disease. But she said I wasn't quite ready for medication. Symptoms weren't bad enough. And she just wrote down your website address, pushed it across the desk and said, try this, try this diet, see how you go. What has she since said when you've returned and you were doing so well? Has she sort of, was she quite chuffed and happy with your results? And was she also chuffed that she'd made the recommendation? Yes, I, th- I think she was. I, I went back and she examined me again and she said, well, you're, everything looks great. That's fantastic. Um, she said, I really don't think I need to see you again, but you know where I am. And if you get symptoms again, come back. And she said, I have an array of drugs to choose from to treat you with. So, Yes, yes, yes. Okay. All right. Great. And um, did you want to share the rheumatologist who it is? Uh, Dr. Laurel Young. In Redcliffe. Dr. Young in Redcliffe. Okay, because everyone's always looking for a rheumatologist who's happy to work alongside the medicine approach uh, and who understands that there is a way that we can get a lot of improvements in parallel. So Dr. Young in Redcliffe, okay, we'll add them to our preferred, uh, not preferred supplier, uh, preferred practitioner list inside our support group. Uh, and I'll also add uh, her clinic to the the, the um, notes of this episode over at rheumatoidsolutions.com. Okay, so you've gone away and you've looked at what she's recommended and you must have thought, what? I have to give up meat, dairy, oils? Is this how things played out? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I just read it and I took it all in. I have I was an omnivore, but I did try to eat healthily. I've always been a home cook, not a junk food person. I had my vegetarian moment when I was a student. Um, so, I, you know, it was well, it's worth a go. And I knew the medications didn't have great side effects. So I, I was absolutely up for it. Saw her just before Christmas and have to say, I did eat my Christmas dinner normally and uh, started it just after Christmas. And I really was pretty dedicated. I, did, I had to speed up the very early stages a little bit because I just I was borderline underweight and I just couldn't get enough calories. So I think I did two days of week one, two days of week two, and then went on to week three. And then I stayed at week three until week three should have ended. And then, you know, did it that way and then just 
reintroducing foods one by one you know, for a good six months until I you know, fair idea of what was working and and what wasn't. And when I tried dairy, that didn't go well at all. <laughs> so, when, when you tried dairy? I tried dairy, you, yes. I, you know, I just I did a, a tentative reintroduction just to, you know, just to see and, whoa, no, that wasn't happening. Okay, that's fine. <laughs> so you got a clear and obvious reaction when you tried to do something wasn't recommended? Yes. <laughs> okay, that's good, isn't it? It's good. Your body's saying no, no, no. You know, you're your own experiment, aren't you? You are. That's right. The guidelines are merely suggestions, um, but we have to work within those suggestions that are based on science and anecdotal feedback from a lot of experience, a lot of people's experience, collective experience. Um, but yeah, it's very individual. So dairy. However, it's pretty clear on that one. So you were, you know, you were playing with fire there. Has there been any other foods that are more unpredictable, like a, like carrots, for example? Or for me, bananas. I've never fully trusted bananas. So, are there any foods that are considered healthy but you don't agree with? Not really. If I'm whole, if I stick to whole food, plant based, I can eat. Within that, no problem. Oil, definitely a bit iffy. But if I do stick strictly to the whole food plant-based, I seem to be able to eat any fruit, vegetables and grains. I definitely don't have an issue with gluten. I'm fine with that. Yeah, so I I do well. I have a really good range of food and I make a big effort to eat variety. I don't know if there was something recently about someone published, people should try to eat at least 30 different foods a week. And the day I read that, I consumed 37. And the following day, I consumed 47 because I made a curry and you count each spice individually. So, you know, I'm eating a huge variety, and which is marvellous, really good. Yeah, um, this has been a push in recent sort of 12 to 18 months after Dr. B published his fibre fueled book, which became a huge sort of vegan Bible. and. Um, his emphasis is on diversity of plants and the way that that can create diversity of the microbiome and how the more diverse, diverse our microbiome, the better our health. Now, that's been known for decades, but that was sort of the, the main niche or niche of his book it is let's go for diversity because we know that that helps our health and eat lots of um, variety. And so, you know, no one's really confronted me with this or asked this question, um, but I'm going to sort of go there because, uh, you know, it's, it's something that's relevant to our program. We start out with a, a small number of foods, okay? So there might only be, in the, in the baseline set of foods, there might only be a dozen, 15 or something, if you include the little ones like garlic and, and uh, you know, onion, and then we've got um, some miso and you know if you count lots of the little detail, um, then yeah, there might only be a dozen or so. So despite it being nutritionally complete in the right quantity, if you if you eat enough of the enough, then you can meet all of your nutritional requirements. The diversity could be argued and say, hey, it's not there's not enough diversity of foods. Well, we aren't the average healthy person who's just looking to increase our microbiome. We've got a chronic, often chronic inflammatory state. So 
there's a there's priorities here. Now, first priority, let's really bring down the inflammation. Let's develop a connection with the food and inflammation and that relationship on our individual level. And then, yeah, we then start to introduce foods. And of course, the reintroduction guide, I, I haven't counted the number of foods on there, but uh, there's a lot. I mean, there's probably 60, 70 foods there to work your way through and reintroduce. Yeah. So we get the diversity as sort of stage three or four, and we work towards that. And if someone's, you know, was wondering um, about that, then that's that's how it all fits in piece of the puzzle. So I do think that um, getting the inflammation down, getting control and confidence first, and then increase our diversity second. So have you had, and I know the answer to this, but I want you to share, have you had uh, any reactions to, uh, you know, eating out foods uh, that you, that are non-compliant and so forth so that we can see that you are human <laughs> and that you do have rheumatoid arthritis and that you are reactionary to things other than the dairy in the initial stages. Yes, I have had an odd reaction when a barista has given me cow's milk instead of almond milk. That has happened once or twice in busy cafes and I've been too busy chatting to a friend to notice. Um, about an hour later, I'll get you know, tingles and twinges in the left foot, which sometimes will only last maybe five or 10 minutes and it fades, but it's just that little reminder. And then I have just had a, a bigger reaction at the weekend um, going out for dinner. And um, I, I'm honestly not very sure exactly what was in it that disagreed with me, but something did. And uh, it was a bit stronger reaction, um, but it, I'm getting it calmed down again. So. All is good, but yes, I I will never be free of rheumatoid arthritis. It's you know I've got the I've got it, and I just have to have to manage it. And uh, thankfully, you're around to give us a good management tool. Well, you know, and I want to bring these situations up. These aren't you know these our interviews here. You and I are talking about reality. We're not creating a a, a face a false sense of fantasy whereby, oh, here's Jennifer. She got rheumatoid arthritis. The doctor had a great plan uh, that involved, uh, you know, getting healthy first and then looking at the need for drugs afterwards. And now she's been perfect ever since. We're not trying to mislead or confuse anyone. What we're looking at here is, wow, you have managed to sidestep the common medical path because of great choices. But you went out to a restaurant it was a, like a what a week ago now. I think you mentioned you add some uh, some fried tofu in a salad, and the next day the one problem area that you had when you were diagnosed, which was uh, some bony erosions in your foot, that one became sensitive again, and it's taken you a few days to get rid of that. And that just is like the this is the massive message is that. We've got to we've got to stick within the, the 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 barriers, like at the bowling alley. You know, at the bowling alley, they bring in those things for kids, so it can't go into the gutter, right? We've got those barricades in our life, so we don't go in the gutter. And we, you know, if we if we take down the barricade and we start being a little bit adventurous, particularly at restaurants where they, you know, use you know oils and heat these oils in a way that are often repetitive. Rep- Overly repeated heated oils are extremely uh, free radical creating. 
And so I just wanted everyone to know, wow, even someone who's totally in control for years, boom, there can be that little reaction if we go and have something wrong. Got to stick to the program. Yeah. Now, you've had other health challenges. Uh, I want to go down this path um, and talk about your uh, breast cancer experience. You'd only been eating sort of plant-based and so on for about a year and a half or two years when you got diagnosed. I remember that Dr. McDougall said often cancer, and I, I, I feel a sense that I'm going to misquote this, but I believe that cancer can start to develop many, many years before it shows up. Can you comment on whether or not I'm, I'm, I'm accurate with that? My understanding is breast cancer develops five to 10 years before it's visible on a mammogram. So, Okay, good. So, I mean, good as in I'm glad that, we under, that I'm on the right track. So what I'm saying here is if you've only done a couple of years of plant-based, which we know from the science is, and is reduces the risk of cancer, you may have, the previous years may have contributed towards the, its development and it might not even be dietary. I mean, I'm just, okay, so. Something else entirely. Something else entirely. So what, I mean, what was that experience like? I'm, I'm obviously horrible, but can you walk us through those, that, that experience? Well, it was a, a total shock. I just went for a routine mammogram and was recalled and there was an issue. You know, no family history of, uh, of, of really of cancer of any description in my direct line. So, yeah, it was just a, a bolt from the blue. Um, every pathology that they did came back worse than they were expecting. So I ended up, I had mastectomy and reconstruction because initially they thought that that would be enough. But at the mastectomy, they take away some lymph nodes in your axilla to check and they were affected also. So they had to go back and take away all the lymph nodes and 29 out of 30 of them were affected, most of them locally invasive. So it, it wasn't good. I, I knew it wasn't good. And then I had to have um, chemotherapy and radiotherapy after that. Where were the lymph nodes? In my right armpit. Okay. So um, it's so it, the discovery was in the breast, but then it was discovered afterwards that armpit also had the cancer activity. And so, yes. and so it was it became a systemic situation, not a not a local situation. Yes. I think they categorize it as stage three. So right, right. Okay. And um what what was the uh sort of side effects of the therapies that you went through? Um well, surgical uh, surgery, I'm left with um, lymphedema in my right arm because all the lymph nodes were removed. So the lymph doesn't flow out of the arm very well now. So that's an ongoing issue and some nerve damage generally. And then chemotherapy. The main problem with that was fatigue. I had very severe fatigue um, with the, the chemotherapy. And then radiotherapy, that has a an effect on your skin, it affects and burns your, your skin. So that takes a bit of recovery as well. And I had to have a couple of other drugs which may have been contributing to the fatigue. And I'm still on an anti-estrogen medication, which I seem to be tolerating really well, actually. But 
the, the fatigue is, is ongoing. I just haven't got over that. Um, apparently about 5% of people who have chemotherapy just don't pick up um, afterwards. And I seem to be in that category, unfortunately. But I'm, I'm comfortable and I just live very quietly. And uh, I'm here, which is the most important thing. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that that alone is an achievement, right? Um, you were given some statistics by the oncologist, right, about your chances of survival. What were those statistics? Yeah, I, I had to pin her down. She didn't want to tell me, um, but she eventually said, no, there's a 30% chance of surviving five years. So wasn't very optimistic. But, you know, was four, that was four years ago. So. And I just had my annual review and touch wood quick. Everything seemed to be seemed to be good. So Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Just jogging along. <laughs> yeah. And further to that, on top of all that you've been through and all those treatments and the challenges that your body has endured, and all of the fatigue which doesn't lend itself well to remaining physically fit, all of these challenges. And what was your recent C-reactive protein when you had it done for your rheumatoid arthritis? Last measurement was less than 0.4 milligrams per litre, which I stunned at because I didn't even realise that they measured as low as that. I thought if it was below one, that was, you know, that was as low as they would measure. Um, So I'm just amazed. Um, So and, And all through my treatment, my CRP has never been above one. And the, mm. the only occasion it equaled one, I actually had an active infection at the time. So I was kind of blaming the infection for, yeah. for raising it slightly. So, I mean, that's just marvellous for my body to have been under all that stress. And yet no inflammation or absolutely minimal inflammation anywhere. Incredible. It, it is incredible. And this is, we just pause for a moment and say, hang on a sec, look at what your body has been able to sustain and look at the outcome. Again, I can't emphasize enough, rheumatoid arthritis, you had symptoms, as you said, fingers and feet into the elbow. And then doctor says, go do healthy lifestyle first. You've gone and done it. You've remained symptom-free for years with the, with as you put it, the ironic or whatever whatever word uh, you used, that, that just the other week you went out for a rare restaurant meal and, and felt a reaction in, in your foot just in one place just for a few days to remind you that you still had it because otherwise you're so symptom-free. And despite all of the being through with your chemotherapy and treatments and stuff, you've just come back with your best C-reactive protein ever. So... It is really amazing, Jennifer. It's just, I, I was just stunned. I, I just couldn't, yeah, just where did that come from? And I, it was wonderful. I just, yeah. Mm. Where do we go from here? If, if we're Jennifer and we're feeling like we've got our best CRP ever, we're, we're four out of five years uh, and we'll get to five, obviously, out of the danger zone for uh, well, the, the more of the danger zone for having a reoccurrence. What do you do now? What does life look for, like for you now? Well, I would just keep going and hopefully the fatigue will lift 
a bit more. That's the thing. I mean, I have the trend has been better, but the pace is glacial. That's the that's the thing. Um, I would like to try and increase my exercise. That's the the next thing that I really need to to try and and work on. And that just depends how the fatigue is that particular day, how much I can do. I did get back to a little bit of yoga just recently, um, yin yoga, um, which is you do, it's a, it's a very slow yoga. You might just do maybe six asanas in one class, in an hour long class, but you hold, you hold the positions. Um, so that's great, particularly when we're working on legs. My, um, the right shoulder's a bit incapacitated with all the surgery and, and what have you. So things like downward dogs are a challenge because putting my weight through the shoulder um, but I just I do what I can um, and I think that that's really good so I'm going to try and continue with that a couple of times a week. Walking is my main exercise I'm just over a kilometre from the supermarket so I try to walk there and bring back I have my rucksack and um, so that's good exercise and um, just walking there and back with a bit of weight and swimming once the, the once the pool reopens in spring, I'll get back to swimming. And I've recently been going ice skating, which is a, a thing from my childhood. I used to ice skate um, and I can now I've worked up to skating, steady skating for about 20 minutes. Um, and I just I love the movement. I've, I've been active all my life. Um, always been quite sporty. So I just just love that that movement. Um, a bit of sailing. I'm a bit restricted again because I lack a bit of strength, but I can I can do a bit of that. And one of these days, my bucket list, I am going to ski again. That's my big aim. Because I'm a very keen skier. So but I'm a bit short of that yet, but that's what I would what I would like to aim for. Have you noticed a steady improvement to your physical abilities over the past 12 months? Yes, but I'm still an awfully long way short of where I used to be. Yeah, I mean, I've lost a lot. I've lost a lot of muscle um, without just because I haven't haven't been using it, sadly. So I, I do need to try and I, I did see an exercise physiologist for a while, but that all got a bit upset with COVID. So you know, I, I couldn't really go to the the gym, and we tried some like Zoom classes, but the, the last class he we did it was a bad day and all they could do with me was breathing exercises so I probably should phone him again and try and get get back on getting back back to that mm. but I've never been a gym bunny the gym mm. is both rigid so it's quite an effort <laughs> to go to the gym <laughs> yeah um then forget the gym just work with what feels right for you um those exercises that you listed a moment ago they're perfectly adequate for you to be able to steadily build some more muscle with your walks. If you don't have any knee issues and uh, everything else um, is okay, you could add a little weight to the walk. You could buy a, a weighted vest like my friend Ellen, who's been on our podcast a few times, our support form administrator. She wears um, a weighted vest for osteoporosis prevention. Um, and so when she goes on a walk, she does some exercise, a step up, and it just adds a little bit of weight around the chest. And just that alone, when you go for your walk, creates a little bit more weight through the legs, a little bit more effort if you're going up a hill. 
And that helps not only build bone density, but also some more muscle, uh, muscle uh, density through the legs. So just a simple little tweak like that, and you can add a kilogram or so of muscle over the couple, uh, a couple of months ahead, you know, little things. And uh, if you go to sit down on, to go to the bathroom, before you allow yourself to go, um, just do two or three little squats and then go. And it's like my rule. Every time you go to sit down, do three squats, and then you're allowed to go to the bathroom. Now, if you go to the bathroom, say, four times a day at a minimum, just to, to you know, number one, you know, you, you're getting 12 squats in a day. That's not a bad thing. Um, yeah. And then think, okay, I'm going to do four squats before I go to the bathroom, <laughs> unless, unless you have the runs where you better go and then do the squats. So um, yeah. these little things, if you can work them into your day, you don't need to think about the gym ever again. You just need to um, work into your lifestyle things that are going to ask a little bit more of your muscles. And notice that these couple of examples are leg muscle focus because most of our muscle in our body is in our legs and buttocks. And so if we can build up a bit of strength in that area, you know, we're targeting the the easy win area of our body. So, you know, explore these sort of parts and there must, there's, there's probably endless examples of how to um, safely increase the load on our, on our muscles without having to even work out. Just it's just that doing that with like your one percent. It's just doing that one percent more every yep. day. And I've had that at the back of my mind. And some sometimes I you know, I manage quite well. And then sometimes I'll have a better day. And there's things I want to do, so I end up overdoing it because I'm feeling good and I want to do X, Y, Z. And off I go and do it. And then it takes me three days to recover. So. <laughs> And is it the shoulder? Is it that right shoulder where the surgery was that provides most of the problem? Or is it that you just get hit with so much fatigue that you then flattened out? It's just the fatigue and I'll fatigue. have some lunch and lie down on the sofa and wake up at four o'clock in the afternoon. So I just fall asleep. Mm. Okay. So a couple of ideas. Um, do you... Now let's troubleshoot some fatigue and this, it might go beyond the conventional framework of helping fatigue because of the chemo, the radiotherapy, right? So we're not, we haven't got a, a it's not a fair playing field to begin with, but having said that, um, do you eat many fruits in your diet? Are you got, uh, have you got fruits that you consume and you're happy with? Yes. Yes. I'm okay. A big, big bowl of fruit first thing. That's my, that's my breakfast. Okay. I think another piece of fruit later in the day or quite frequently. Um, yeah, so, so if that's already part of your diet and you have no issue with that, it's obviously super healthy, um, maybe before you work out or even halfway through, um, take some more fruit with you and keep your blood sugar levels up. This is a safe and natural way to, to, to eat in a way that remains uh, to keep us energised. So you might want to buy some medjool dates and chew on a few dates as you go and, uh, uh, you know, walk to the store and back. Or when you get home, have a big papaya. Just keep those energy levels up by eating fruit, all right? Because the, the blood sugar levels are controlled nicely because the fibre in the fruit, right? It's a natural, a natural way of, of um, providing sugar to the body. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing is in terms of uh, 
How's your vitamin D levels? Are you supplementing D or do you get sunshine a lot? I I do supplement, but just a thousand milligrams five days a week because my last blood test, I think it was 124. Okay, you're great. It, yeah, okay. it, was, it was low when my breast cancer was diagnosed because having done your program, I'm afraid the vitamin D was something I had overlooked. So I, I was put on supplements immediately to get it up. So. Okay. And then the other thing would be just as a no-brainer uh, for general health is vitamin C. So I was listening to a podcast by Found My Fitness, uh, which is an interesting science-based podcast. And I listened to like an hour and a half all about just vitamin C studies. And so, um, you know, I get my kicks in a weird way. But in, in an hour and a half of nothing but vitamin C research, and one thing that stood out to me is that you need to take vitamin C uh, throughout, uh, throughout the day, not all in one dose. The body can only assimilate about three to four grams of vitamin C at a time, and the rest just becomes waste. So if we did say three to four grams at breakfast, three to four grams at lunch, three to four grams in the evening, then we're spreading the doses and we're able to assimilate all of that and not entirely replicate the same as having like a high dose intravenous vitamin C, but, you know, we're still getting, uh, you know, a solid high dose, people would call it mega dose uh, of vitamin C that's only side effect is loose bowels, right? Which uh, may affect our squatting. <laughs> um, but, but other than that, look, I would, I would do that here in Australia. The, the, the supplement industry is so outstandingly regulated and, and high quality, go and get some bioceuticals, uh, vitamin C and they're one gram tablets at a time. Our kids even eat them. They have a nice, pleasant flavor. And so, you know, do, do a couple for breakfast, couple at lunch, couple in the evening and just see, because I'm, sh- I'm sure the studies would indicate but also therapy like you've been through depletes vitamin C. I mean, I'm going to state that without even checking the studies. I'm all, it's got to be the case. Change you a lot of things. Yes. So yeah. I, I would add C and, and, and C. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Try that. Yeah. Try that. And, and as, you, as you are trying to do and building up your antioxidant enzymes, your glutathione, your catalase, your your real powerhouse of antioxidants, which are going to also then provide that, uh, that maintain those energy levels via exercise, the best way to get them back up. So obviously your doctor would have given you guidelines about how aggressive you can be with your exercise. And um, what I mean by that is, is it okay to say, for instance, try and get your heart rate up a little bit and walk a bit quicker some days? And I guess the answer is maybe not necessarily with the doctor but with how your body feels the next day and if you get flattened from it or not but you know i think keep keep trying keep trying to get a little fitter well that's i just keep saying i do what i can when i can and when i can't i can't (laughs) but no i i do um try i'm lucky i've got pleasant walking round about so it's not it's not hardship to to go out um yeah yeah great like get lucky with the odd kangaroo or koala. So that's, <laughs> that's a good incentive to get out. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. It's, um, so you've got koalas near you? Haven't seen one for a while, but occasionally, yeah. yes. Yeah, gosh, it's been probably 12 years since I've seen one. Really? The day will come. The day will come when 
we're all saying we haven't seen them except in zoos the day um, uh, it's just a very sad thing mm. there's been a bit mm. more building and i think that's just maybe yeah, right right well thank you this uh, has been as i said at the start something that you don't do regularly i think this is the first time you've sort of done this kind of interview style and and zoom and so well, you know i'm very grateful and it was it was just lovely to have this conversation and thank you for sharing it's just been you know really lovely to get your message out well i'm very grateful to the program that you developed because it's kept me in a very good place so i'm very grateful indeed Thanks for listening to Rheumatoid Solutions. If you'd like to get more help to live an easier, healthier, and happier life, visit rheumatoidsolutions.com.